Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. So today marks an important day for many of us. For those of us on church staff, it is the first day back to work after last week's Easter celebration. After taking a week off to rest up after Holy Week activities, we're here to get back to work on what God is doing here at Church of the Redeemer. For some, today marks the last day before spring break is over and kids return to school. Good Friday and Easter kicked off a week of a much-needed break from work or school, maybe even involving a vacation. Some are probably not with us right now because they're headed back, and I'm sure that some are more excited about that than others. And then, last but not least, there is another group who didn't really have much of a break. Instead, as soon as the cries of Easter Alleluia's stopped ringing in their ears, the smell of incense wore off in their noses, and the hunting of Easter eggs was finished. Any family gathering came to a close. Things went back to normal pretty quickly on Monday morning. So whichever group you are in, I have good news for you. Easter is not over as much as it might feel that way. While every Sunday is technically a mini-Easter celebration, today is only the second Sunday in a, wait for it, 50-day season of Easter that we call Eastertide, which doesn't get wrapped up till Pentecost. So in this, we live into the season that the disciples spent learning from Jesus before he ascended into heaven and gave them the Spirit for the work he was calling them to do. We are not too hasty to set down this important theme, but instead, just as we spent a season of preparation going into Easter, we let this resurrection message shape and form us more deeply so we can be more empowered for the work that God is calling us to do in his name, extending the good news to the world around us. So, as hard as this may be, Don't stop feasting on this glorious message. Think about what it would look like for you to spend the next month and a half before Pentecost celebrating this good news in special ways and letting the message of resurrection dig down deep into your soul. So to help us in this next season, we're starting a new sermon series today called We Look for the Resurrection of the Dead. Every week we say this line at the conclusion of the Nicene Creed, and many of us cross ourselves at precisely this moment in eager anticipation of that coming day to express our deepest hope as Christians that one day we will not only meet Jesus face to face, but we will rise with him into the experience that will be humanity 2.0. On the one hand, something, something similar to what we have been, we'll be physical bodies living in a real physical world, and yet, on the other hand, we'll be renewed and changed into what we were always meant to be, in a world no longer marred and disfigured by the consequences of the fall. So we're going to spend the next four weeks laying out the hope of resurrection as it was dealt with throughout the scriptures. We'll be looking at key passages related to this hope as it's described throughout the whole narrative, narrative of salvation. And so the passage we're looking at today, it lays out this hope of resurrection as it was dealt with in the Old Testament, long before Jesus left the empty tomb. In this passage, we find a clear foundation for what God has been planning to do in the life of Christ and what he has already done and is going to do in the lives of those who follow him. 
in this passage, we find very clearly that God is a God of resurrection, and this resurrection hope has the power to truly transform the life that waits in anticipation for what God is going to do. To be a follower of God, whether before Christ or after, is to trust in what God is going to do while letting this trust change our lives here and now. Ezekiel 37 is ultimately about creative tension. On the one side, a reality desperately in need of change and incapable of it without God's transforming power. And on the other side, patience and waiting for that power that will come in our lives but has not arrived yet. What will God do in my life while I wait? Can I handle the patience? This creative tension is something God called Ezekiel and the Old Testament people of God into, and it is something he is calling us into today. So let's take a look. If you have a Bible with you, please open up to Ezekiel 37. We'll start with a look at verses 1 through 3. So there it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. So what is going on here in this scene? This passage starts with the prophet Ezekiel being led by the Spirit to experience a scene that would be pretty traumatic for most of us. Let's lay this out in a little bit more detail. To understand what is happening here, we need to have a better grasp of Ezekiel's life and work. The book of Ezekiel starts at a point in his life where he is 30 years old and living in exile. While all of Israel will be going into exile in just a few years, at the starting point of this book, Ezekiel is part of an initial group, including the king, who were deported from Israel to live in Babylon. The Babylonians were trying to give Israel one more chance, and so they took the ruling class and they moved them into Babylon and left the people behind to see, will they, can they handle one more chance? Turns out they can't. So, Ezekiel came from a priestly family, and the 30th year was typically the year that men who were destined to be priests began their priestly work in the temple. And so here, instead of being able to begin this important ministry as a priest, he's living in exile and unable to step up to the role he has always been anticipating to play one day. But God has other plans for him and calls him to be a prophet to a rebellious people. And so while his country crumbles under the weight of Babylonian authorities, he is called to accompany this time with proclaiming judgment to a people who really are not going to listen. Ironically, as a side note, this makes me think of how Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30. I don't think that this is a coincidence. So by the time Ezekiel 37 comes around, he has prophesied and witnessed to the people as they go through the destruction and exile of the whole nation, which happens in 587 B.C. Before this, in chapter 24, Ezekiel's wife dies. And he's forbidden by God in that time from performing the normal mourning rituals that would be typical of that time. So that this would be a sign to the people of the true mourning which was coming upon the nation in just a short amount of time. The book of Ezekiel is full of this kind of dramatic messaging as God uses Ezekiel to put on display what is and what will happen among his people. 
So by the time chapter 37 comes around, Israel has fallen completely. The last chapters of the book process through this experience. And so at this point, the question is clear. What about that promise that God made to Abraham? In Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Well, so much for that. Everlasting covenant, God has abandoned his people to their enemies. God to Abraham's offspring, his people have long since abandoned him and decided to worship other gods. The land of Canaan and an everlasting possession, yeah, right, look at it now. Ruins. Most of the 12 tribes were actually disappeared already over 100 years ago under the Assyrians to disappear into the Gentile world, never to be seen or heard from again. And now the Babylonians have taken the remaining Israelites, killed, pillaged, destroyed. Those who are left have been taken away. If they didn't worship God when they had their own land and blessings in front of them, why would they worship him now in foreign lands when it is more convenient to worship those gods that are common amongst the peoples they're now living with? So as Ezekiel is led by God to this field of bones, the feeling of hopelessness dominates the air. As he looks out at this field of bones, it makes sense. It has been one or two years now since the fall of the kingdom. These bones are those who fell in battle, trying to fight the Babylonians. And something to notice here, to be left unburied was for ancient cultures a horrible tragedy. So today we think of burial as primarily a ritual for the living. And while that is certainly true, the idea that dead bodies would be left exposed and unworthily handled is a degrading thing. This field of unburied bodies speaks to the reality of how far this kingdom has now truly fallen. There's no one left to care. The kingdom is not just gone figuratively with some left to endure under foreign rule. No one is there. No one is left. This puts on display the true curse that has fallen upon these lands under the judgment that has come upon God's people. So as Ezekiel is confronted with this hopeless situation, we can imagine the kind of feelings that he would have been having. He has accompanied Israel as a prophet now for almost a decade through their downfall. He knew it was going to happen before they did. And when it did happen, he somehow had to carry this weight inside of him. And so now God is changing his prophetic ministry to looking forward to the future, foreseeing the good that God is going to do in Israel's future. And I can imagine that this transition for Ezekiel would have been pretty jarring. So here God takes him to the scene and he sees up close and personal what is left of the land God promised as an everlasting possession. But this hopelessness will not have the last word. In the midst of the scene of carnage and curse, God shows up and he shows up with a question. Son of man, can these bones live? What a question. I don't have time to go into all the details, but if you read through the whole book of Ezekiel, there's a lot of really crazy things going on in there. Ezekiel's had a really long career of God making him do crazy stuff. He wasn't allowed to mourn his dead wife. He was struck, 
he, he was struck mute for a long time. There's actually debates about how long, but he was struck mute so that his tongue stuck to the top of his mouth, potentially even for seven and a half years. He was forced to lie on his side for 390 days. And, get ready for this one, he was even made to eat bread cooked over cow manure. It was originally supposed to be human manure, but God was merciful to him. So, so God has done a lot of really crazy stuff in Ezekiel's life throughout his ministry. And now, as God asks him this question, I'm sure he's like, okay, God, what are you going to do now? What crazy thing do you have up for me next? Of course, he knows that God can do this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the world, he can bring new life if he so desires, but will he? So he gives a safe answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. Lord, you know the answer to this question because it's up to you if they do or not. This Ezekiel has learned that God is all-powerful, sovereign, above all other powers in this world. This he knows. So what can we learn from Ezekiel in this? As we continue this season of celebrating resurrection, I'm sure that there are differing levels of confidence in this reality here in this room today. Some of us are just oozing resurrection confidence. Christ is risen! Christ is risen indeed! As that proclamation ran out, you don't even, rang out, you don't even have to give me a noisemaker to make noise about this Easter message. Some of us are feeling confident in this reality as intellectual truth, but we're not necessarily exuberating joy from our inner being. And some of us are standing there at the acclamation of resurrection, and it feels really far from being true. Whether you are right now in this season, of, wherever you are now in this season of celebrating resurrection, God would like to meet you with the same question, son, daughter, can these bones live? God knows they can, and he knows they will. And so just like Ezekiel, he longs to carry us into this reality, whether we are feeling super confident in it or not. Friends, let God meet you with this question this Easter season. Whether it's easy for you or it is really hard, put your trust in him. But as the text continues, we see God doesn't leave Ezekiel with this question. Take a look at verses 4 through 10. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Fast forwarding to verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Wow, this passage is kind of trippy. <laughs> my wife, when I was practicing my sermon with her yesterday, she said, this is one of the weirdest passages that I've ever read in the Bible. So again, I ask, what is going on here? Ezekiel answers God's question with, Lord, you know if these bones can now live. And now God asks him to participate 
in the answer to this question. He tells him to prophesy over the bones, to call the Spirit of God upon these bones, and he witnesses God's resurrection power. God doesn't just answer his question, he shows him what is possible with his power. Friends, we have seen more than just a vision of resurrection power. We have been blessed with something much greater than what Ezekiel has experienced, and that is what this season is all about. God went much further in raising up his own son from the dead. The Spirit of God raised Jesus up as the newborn of all creation. We see in this text a lot of references to breath and wind. As the wind comes over these skeletons and breathes new life into them, we are seeing imagery related closely to God's creation of Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis, the Spirit of God hovers over creation, and in chapter 2 it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This Hebrew word ruach, it means spirit, but it also means breath, and it also means wind. So in the creation story, we see this interplay between spirit of God, the breath of life, being given to creation. This is why when we say the Nicene Creed each week, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. There is no life without the spirit of God. So Ezekiel witnesses how the spirit of God not only creates, but he recreates. God's plan is not to just abandon his people to their fate. His plan is not to just let mankind suffer for their actions. His plan is to pour out his spirit and give new life. This vision, Ezekiel sees becoming reality in Christ. And this reality transformed people's lives 2,000 years ago. It has transformed lives over the past 2,000 years and is continuing to transform lives even today. But Ezekiel sees this vision and is called to go back to the normal day-to-day of life. And the same happens with us here today. We know that Christ has risen from the dead. We know that God has already done this. And we know that he's going to do it again for all of us. And yet we wait patiently to see it fulfilled in our own lives. Ezekiel sees this vision and he's called to go back to his life as a prophet. But But this time... Instead of proclaiming God's impending judgment, his call is to share God's resurrection power. This is the hope that will enable the people of God to endure their exile well, to not let the season of waiting be destructive, but rather to see it as a season of living into eager anticipation of what God is going to do. This is the creative tension that we are confronted with today. Living on the one hand between resurrection that already happened and resurrection that hasn't happened yet but we have much work to do. Like Ezekiel was called to preach to the bones, we are called to do the same, to go out and share the message of resurrection with people who don't know it, who haven't experienced it yet. This ministry of preaching the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, this is the ministry that we are called to do. Like Ezekiel, we will see God's Spirit work to give new life here and now. Paul lays this out in Romans 8 where he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are people of the resurrection. We are no longer dead, 
but alive in the Spirit. We know the power of Christ's resurrection not just because it is reliable history passed down from changed life to changed life for so many generations, but because that very power lives and works in us today. We are called to live in this tension. We know resurrection power. We eagerly await when one day that resurrection will finally trample down every ounce of hopelessness that we continue to face. There's a song that lays out this tension of celebrating and waiting well, which we will actually be singing here in just a little bit during communion. It says, Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Let's share this hope with the whole world around us. But there's one more part of this passage we have yet to look at, verses 11 through 14. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Ezekiel has just experienced this miraculous vision of God's resurrection power. This field of nothing but lifeless bones is now a field of God's risen army, and here God actually explains this vision to him. This is the future of the house of Israel. Go let them know. He is going to bring hope to them once again. He's going to bring them back to the everlasting possession he promised to give them. God's words to Abraham are just as true today as they always were. So he tells Ezekiel, go proclaim this to the house of Israel. So this is where if we take the context of Ezekiel seriously in and of its own right, we have to work a little bit hard to not just read our understanding of resurrection back into it in order to understand what was going on. While this text certainly does point to Christ's resurrection, here for Ezekiel as he's hearing it for the first time and for the original hearer or reader in his context, it would seem that this passage is most directly pointing to the resurrection of Israel as a nation. These bones are the house of Israel. I will place you in your own land. This hope of resurrection, as Ezekiel would have understood it, does not necessarily take on the hope of bodily resurrection quite yet that we proclaim every week when we say in the creed we look for the resurrection of the dead. However, I think if we study this text within the narrative of God's entire drama of salvation, there's much encouragement in it for us today. Ezekiel and all the other exiled Israelites, they hoped for a return to their homeland and the resurrection of their nation. In 1963, Billy Graham actually reflected on something similar with the German Chancellor Konrad Adenauer. So Konrad Adenauer, for those of you who have never heard of him, which is probably the most, the majority of you, um, I'm a little bit of a German history nerd, by the way. So um, he was the chancellor who worked with Americans and other allied powers to rebuild Germany after World War II. Germany had started a war which led to utter devastation for millions of people, including its own country. Because of that evil that was done, 61 million people lost their lives. But not only that, the entire country of Germany, which was once beautiful and glorious, laid in ruins. The city of Frankfurt, where my wife and I lived for six years, it was completely wiped out 
1944 by over 27,000 tons of bombs in a single month. With most houses in the inner city at that time being old wooden structures, the damage from that bombing spread like wildfire through the city, leaving it a shell of what it once was. So when the Allies took over Germany, they debated long and hard, what do we do with these ruins here that were left behind? And so the British, they desired to prevent any rebuilding of industry and let Germany remain nothing more than a large mass of farmland. From that point forward, so they could never rise again and cause that kind of damage to the world. Thankfully, in the end, level heads prevailed, and Western countries worked together to assist Germany in rebuilding. And so under Adenauer's governance, they experienced how Germany went from families who lived off of little to no food in a heap of ruins to becoming a thriving economy with people who, for the most part, experienced the same kind of roaring economy of the 50s that we had here in the U.S. This is something that historians refer to in German as the Wirtschaftswunder, the economic miracle. And so in 1963, Billy Graham had the opportunity to come and visit and have coffee with the German Chancellor. And he was actually really surprised when, in this meeting, Adenauer started speaking to him about the hope of Christian resurrection. He expected to meet a stiff politician who had little to no interest in religion, and instead he met a devout Christian who proclaimed resurrection to him and said, Mr. Graham, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, I do not know of any other hope for this world. While his faith certainly extended beyond the state of his own country, he looked out the window as he was speaking to Graham and said something along the lines of, how can I not believe in the power of resurrection? Look at what's happening outside to this country that deserves nothing but the opposite. This return to glory, the resurrection of Israel, just like Adenauer had experienced in Germany, this is something that Ezekiel and many others were hoping to happen in Israel. And it kind of came one day when the Persians defeated the Babylonians. So King Cyrus the Great, the famous Persian king, he allowed Israelites to rebuild their country under his more benevolent rule. The temple was slowly rebuilt, the walls of Jerusalem reestablished, and many began to return to their land. But not all. And although Israel was rebuilt, it never became that thriving kingdom that it once had been. Instead, for 500 years, time and time again, they came under the authority of different rulers. And so something like the German Wirtschaftswunde never happened in Israel. God had other plans. Jesus Christ is the Israel that was always supposed to be. He was the one who was obedient. He was the one who truly believed. When he came and lived the life we could never live, when he died the death that we deserve, and he rose again into new life as the firstborn of new creation, he fulfilled God's words to Ezekiel in a way that Ezekiel could have never imagined. But here is the good news for us. Jesus rose and then left so that we can join into this hope for resurrected Israel. What the disciples came to understand is there could be no rise of God's chosen people in their chosen land as promised to Israel if God's people didn't first extend that blessing to the entire world. So he sent out his Jewish disciples to proclaim the mystery of faith to all peoples. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But when he comes again, you and me and everyone else are invited to join him in that more powerful resurrection. This is the creative tension that Ezekiel 37 calls us to live into now. 
We know God's resurrection power. We know God's resurrection plan. And now we are called to go back into the grind of day-to-day life and share it with others. So as Adenauer unexpectedly shared with Billy Graham over that cup of coffee, while overlooking a world mixed with both the hopelessness of shame and the beauty of redemption, his words ring true for us just as much today. Outside of the resurrection of Jesus, I do not know of any other hope for this world. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace this morning that we would be both hearers and doers of the word, and may our obedience in both listening and living bring glory to you. Give us resurrection hope. Help us to share this hope with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.